Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. What's your favorite Taylor Swift song? Too many. Too many to count. Anything off of Folklore, probably. Uh, August. The One. Taylor Swift, Bad Love. That's not a song. Oh, when that ayahuasca kicks in for Aaron Rodgers, he's having visions. That's winning the Super Bowl. You may be having visions. I'm in a different location today. Technical issues (laughs) abound in the main studio. I decided to abandon the fake Florida rock for my office. A peek inside where the sausage gets made. I have a new router that gives me high-end juice, although we had a few technical difficulties getting audio just as the show was coming on the air but it's all fixed now the jets win the super bowl and pft live is on the air until it isn't good morning christopher good morning mike good morning i'm uh i'm impressed um i'm not impressed by your setup or your zoom call here at all the, the that that's technical difficulty stinks move to new york city where the rest of the media world is please soon okay thank you so we don't have to do this anymore i'm sick of it all right Yep, itch that more. It's going to be a lot more today. You're going to be itchy all day long, okay? But here, here's seriousness, though. Like, did you see the social media of Rodgers, like, on the weekend? When I saw that about him, oh, too many to remember, I was like, oh, wow. Well, he was ready for that social media Jets question there. That wasn't real. But damn, then I watch him at the concert of Taylor Swift. He knows the words of every song. I mean, he's a diehard. I, I, it is kind of shocking. I mean, it really is. It's not every day you see a starting quarterback who knows every word to Taylor Swift. I think that was kind of impressive and hashtag unexpected, honestly. Unless the ayahuasca gives him a superpower, a very specific one, which is he knows the words to songs he previously didn't know the words to. That's entirely possible. (laughs) I thought when he did the whole too many to remember it reminded me of a very famous moment about 15 years ago when someone who was running for office was asked what newspapers do you read and that person said any of them all of them which meant she was in position to name none of them it reminded me of when he was asked about the Nicolas Cage movies remember when he showed up <laughs> yeah, at right. camp looking like Nicolas Cage and Con Air and they asked him for the Nicolas Cage movies and I don't think he came up with more than one and the guy's done more than a hundred so I was very skeptical, and then out came the video. Unless he did a crash course in Taylor Swift songs before he went to the show, just to prove that he's a regular guy who knows the words to Taylor Swift songs, and then at the end, with the confetti falling, he was pretending that the Jets had, had won the Super <laughs> Yeah, that was funny as well. It was. Hanging Maybe out- the closest he gets to that happening, given the – the rest of the conference he's competing in. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, it's it's wishful thinking, certainly. But, uh, I mean, hanging out there with Miles Teller, right? I mean, pretty big movie star. I didn't see any other, like, 
Jets players in that, I don't know where he was sitting, first off, awesome seats. Like, they had, like, a box on the field, it looked like. I mean, you know, I know MetLife Stadium a little bit. That did not look like it was the normal box on the edge of the stadium. So, kind of a cool setup there. Yeah, can't hide money. That's right. They might have made a special box just for him. They might have just said, yeah, actually, we do have boxes on the field. We're going to set that up for you. But uh, good for him. Cool. Cool to see, you know, a starting quarterback kind of putting his macho-ness away and being able to show that side of himself, singing to Taylor Swift. But I'm sure he's he's getting in the locker room, too. I'm sure he's hearing a lot about, you know, his voice and his moves at that concert. Okay, you mentioned Miles Teller, and you said he's a pretty big star. I'm going to turn the tables on you. Yeah, I, I know. Name for me three roles okay. that Miles Teller has played. I want three. All right. Well, I know I don't know the name. I, the drum movie, right? I mean, I know that one, and I can't think of the name off the top. Drum movie. The drum movie, all right? It's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. W- all right. And then he was in... I don't know, man. Am I wrong? Was he in one of the diver- divergents, right? It, it wasn't he? That's yes. Two. Okay. Two. There was two. And then, man, I know I know a third, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to call it off Good the top God. of my head. What, what is it? The movie it? of the summer last year. What? What was it? The movie of the summer last year. Damn. The I- Son of Goose. Oh my gosh, Top Gun. Holy cow. You're right. I forgot. It went right through my I I I don't know. You know, it's been a while since I saw it. So, I, I, it's not like embedded in my brain, but he was a great goose's son. Uh, so, yes, there you go. All right. So, thanks. I got 2 out of 3. Thanks for your help. Appreciate it. It was also somewhat polarizing playing the role of the man who produced The Godfather in the Paramount series The Offer. Some people hated it that I've talked to just because they couldn't take Miles Teller as the guy who produced The Godfather. I thought he was fine. I thought it was a, a, an interesting series, and I thought he he played it as well as he could, had to change his voice a little bit, kind of a New York thing, I think, or a Hollywood thing. But anyway, he didn't talk like he normally did. But yeah. part of being an actor, you don't always talk like you normally do. No, so. you never do. He's, like, he's probably like, hey, what the hell? Get, get Hey, Florio, move up to New York so you can get in a real studio. Hey, oh. If you haven't seen that, if you haven't seen that, it's worth your time. It's like 10 episodes. All right. Uh, the author is the name of the series. It's not. It's All not. right. So I, I will. I, I will. I, I, I like him. I like his work for sure. The other thing. I Otherwise, watch Peacock. Well, what part? What what part of the Chateau uh, Chateau de Florio are we in right now? I haven't seen this room before. So please explain. This is new to me. This is my office. This is where I sit and copy paste snarky comment most of the time. Okay, so this is it. That's it. And then this is office is upstairs. Is it right off your bedroom? I mean, where, where, where are we talking about in the house here? Right off the kitchen, which can be good and bad. Uh, a little too close for comfort when there's a temptation that may arise to go eat some food. Very close to the main door from our garage. So pull the car in, walk in. Here I am, kind of right near the nerve center of the house, close to the stairs to go down to the lower level. So good spot. Good spot. A converted bedroom, obviously, that I've made into my office here. And uh, yeah, I spend, I don't know, most of the day in here. And I committed a year ago to getting it clean and keeping it clean in the event that moments like this would ever arise. But also, there's just something to be said for having the area where you spend most of your time in some degree of and cleanliness and not have plates everywhere and a coffee cup from four days ago that's starting to grow mold on the, you know, it's just, just clean your, clean your area up and your mind clears. I don't, I'm not a big believer of the whole, Oh, if someone has a really messy office, that means there's some highly functioning individual. No, it just means they're lazy and they don't feel like cleaning up their area. I I would agree with that too. It can go either way. I've seen successful people where, you know, I, I don't want to say ever, I don't know if I know a successful person with a really messy, messy desk, right, where it's like, wait, what is that stuff? I've seen successful coaches with a lot of stuff on the desk, but it's organized within that messiness as far as knowing what's what and where's where. And then there's a few that I've been around where, I mean, it's immaculate to like what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's perfection everywhere. And that's the way they are. But I've seen both be successful. Now, like the real sloppy guy, I, I mean, maybe successful in other ways of work, but like, I, I don't know if I, 
know the real sloppy guy like, wait, where is this? Where's my playbook? Where's today's handout? I don't know if that guy exists in the NFL that's at least a successful coach. That that, that would be an interesting little uh, psychology experiment. And when I say lazy, I don't mean lazy in all things, just too lazy to clean up their desk. Yeah, I got you. Right. By something else. There's always something that has a higher priority for them than getting their their crap together. Now, also, I will tell you, it's hardly immaculate outside of the shot. I do have a few things around here that I need to clean up a little bit, but it's easy to push this way, push this way, push this way when it's time to do this. But the fact that I do have high-end router right up in the ceiling just as of last week, it unlocks this as a potential destination on the days we have technical issues because before it was a little... It was a little glitchy. It would stop and start. Right. It was just far enough away from the router to let me do my work in here. But video stuff that I would try to generate would be a little bit, a little bit problematic. So no longer problematic. And uh, yeah, this is my, this is this is my space, which the dog invades from time to time, and you never know. There could be a Macy sighting. She comes to the door and start scratching on it when she wants in. And when she starts scratching on the door, she gets in. So there is a chance at some point between now and 9 a.m. Eastern here on PFT Live, there will be a cameo from Macy who will come in and look for any food I might have dropped on the ground, which does happen from time to time. All right. That'd be great. I'd love to see a little Macy action. It'd be good for the show here. So we'll see if she pops up uh, one way or another. I got nothing else. You ready to start this off? Let's go. Uh, I, I do have one question for okay. you, and I don't know if we've discussed this before, because I I got to bed last night about 1130, which is early for me. And uh, what the hell, let's embrace it. Let's get six hours of sleep, because by the time you roll around a little bit, and I got up at six, so I, I but I fell asleep fairly quickly. So I was on track for six and a half hours. But then I got a text message at 12.05 a.m. Eastern as a reminder for a radio interview I'm going to do at some point after the show today. And I I know that it's on the user of the phone to manage the contacts and do not disturb and have exceptions for people who can pierce through. And what I just do, anytime anybody calls me between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m., I just do hide alerts so it never happens again. Or anytime anyone pings me with a text message. And this person had not yet pinged me with a text message during the forbidden window, so I hadn't done it. But as the sender... Is there any etiquette there? Is there any obligation there to at least stop and think, what if if this person doesn't have his or her phone on Do Not Disturb? What if if this person has not screened out your number among the various hide alert contacts and you're going to wake them up by texting them after midnight? Is, Is there an obligation to refrain from sending that reminder text, which could have been sent this morning? Didn't have to be sent at 12.05 a.m. Yeah. Is there an obligation to refrain? Well, I, like, uh, yes, to a degree. I, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's on you. I mean, it's on you. It's your damn phone. Turn it on. They got that little, yeah, they got that little moon button, and it, it takes care of everything. All right. Oh, I got a moon button. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Okay. But, like, you would think a guy or whoever, young woman, man, whatever it is, sent you that text, you'd go, Wait, don't they realize I'm on, you know, TV at 7 a.m. in the morning and I got to get up early? And, you know, yeah, you'd like them to not think that uh, or, 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 or do that to you at that point. But, you know, I don't know. It's it's the world we're in now. And, and it just everybody just, yeah, it's selfish. Do what you got to do at this moment. I got to do what I got to do. The hell with the next person. And if they don't have their phone on silent, that's their fault. So, like, yeah, you'd like them to think about it. But at the end of the day, it's on you. You got to take care of that one, slugger. I'm going to start texting you at 1 a.m. <laughs> don't worry. That, that, thing is, that thing is off. I am – I am a I am actually too much of put whatever the hell you call that moon button, right? I I to do not disturb. I I put I have it on most of the day to the point where I go, "Oh my gosh, I forgot I had it on." And then I take it off and I look at my phone and I have 70 text messages and I'm like flustered. So that's one of my actually issues in life that I have to turn it off more often. Oh, every time I send you a text, it's on when- there, right? But but when we're not in the usual work mode, right? 
I never know when I'm going to hear back from you and I don't expect <laughs> it. I, sometimes I just don't hear back from you at all. And I just, I've accepted that <laughs> you've said before, your kids will have your phone or you just turn it off. Or you I do. It, I am. About it. Yeah. I have this thing with me everywhere I go. I can't imagine functioning without it because I mean, number one, we're all communicating among the PFT writing staff and right. news. And for me, like for a lot of people, Twitter feed is how they see what's going on in the NFL. Or it used to be the RSS feed, which I think is still around, but not as popular as it used to be. For me, I know what's happening because I'll see the text from my writers alerting the rest of the staff. Yeah. I'm going to post on this. I'm going to post on that. I'm going to post on this. So a lot of times that's the only information I have unless I go back and read the story, which I rarely do. It's just processing it as one text at a time. Here's what each person's writing. So that's why I keep plugged into it all the time because you never know something's going to pop. No, I hear you. I hear you. Relevant to the show. I'll check it throughout the show. By the way, Pete, and this is a this is a better setup for me than doing it on my laptop down in the room with the fake Florida rock because I can see return from the show and I can also keep an eye on the outline. Pete has shared with us an Albert Einstein quote, if a cluttered desk is a sign of a cluttered mind, of what then is an empty desk a sign? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> it's very, very well done there. Yeah, oh, and there's, there's, the there's Al. Yeah. There's the desk on the day that he called it quits. And look, when I practiced law, my desk would look like that because things just happen quickly and there's a lot of paper and you have to, okay, I got to put this here and I got to do something else. And then I'll put this there and then I got to do something else. I get that. But for what we do now, specifically for what I do now, like I have one piece of paper in here that I started writing notes on one day last week when I was getting some phone calls, I don't want to hold it too close on anybody. I don't want to give away. You don't want to give, give us some Jerry Jones draft information. Like, it's a lot of, you know, it's not as bad as mad dogs notes. If you saw them on Twitter from when he was on first take one day last week, but I will grab a piece of paper and just keep a list sometimes of stories I want to get to or things that someone has said to me during a phone call, but everything's paperless. Now, most of the time I'll keep my notes on, on a, a word processing document on this very device that I, you know, that is the the center of the PFT universe. So that's one of the reasons that that it's easier to not have a cluttered desk in this day and age. Most of the clutter is on the desktop. And I do have a lot of clutter on my digital desktop where you got this window open, that window open, this window open, that window open. And I got a bunch of them down here along the bottom that are open that I probably haven't looked at in months. All right, let's get to it. All right. Oh, we have the, we have the mad dog notes. It looks like Pete has been working on, well, maybe. Well, here's another, another sign. And I always wonder about Mike is like, what about your email inbox? How many emails you got in your inbox right now? That's another one where I got like, I got a line of demarcation where I start to get too many. It starts to like clutter my brain and bother me. So I, I try to limit the amount of emails I got in my inbox there. In AOL, which I am still trying to progress away from. You have an AOL? You have an AOL? <laughs> You're on a roll today. <laughs> Why would you stop using it? That's I know. what I understand. It's just an indication that you've been part of the digital age for a long time. Yes, it is. That's oh, right. Yeah. Since way back oh. then. Yeah. You and my I've got, wife. I've got 42899 Oh, my gosh. That would stress me out. I couldn't do and, that. And in Gmail, uh, the first number is a five, and I don't think it's five thousand. Are they in the inbox? Are you or are you talking about? Have you moved them somewhere else, or do you just keep them in the inbox? Oh my gosh, that would hurt my brain. I wouldn't be able to live that way. There's no way that that I don't know what it is. It stresses me out once I have too much in there. Well, and the reason that I don't do anything with it is, you think about it. You look at the email. And there's there's Mad Dog Russo's <laughs> very in depth. <laughs> you that is wild. That's sky that, that is, is blue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I'll open the email, and and like I just I exit it, and it and I think sometimes it stays in new mail, and sometimes it doesn't. I just I just like once I see what I need. And if it's anything remotely important, I keep it around. I don't delete it. It just takes too much work. To, oh, I got to go delete. I got to hit trash. I got to do this. I got to do that. So 
What I'll eventually do in the AOL mailbox, you can do like a mass delete. I haven't figured out how quickly and easily to do it, but then I don't want to get rid of something I may need. And I don't know that I need it until I have to go look for it. I'll search my email boxes all the time to find something that I remember that I have. I did that very recently and I can't remember what it was, but there was something I needed and I went in there and searched and I found it. I was glad I hadn't deleted it. So what do you do? All right. Uh, it doesn't take up any space on my desk. All right. Now I need to find the window here where we have the show outline and we can get to what we need to talk about. 18 minutes into the program. New record. We, we would apologize for that. But number one, I constantly, and I'm sorry, this you get right up in the woo. Hey, big hands. Um, I constantly get emails from people who enjoy the banter at the front of the show, and I've yet to get a complaint from anyone, which means I now will. Oh, why don't you guys just get to it? What's all this crap you're talking about? No, people seem to like it. So hopefully you liked our 18 minutes of cluttered desk and a peek inside my office and etiquette for when to text someone. And please don't text me after midnight because it will wake me up as it did last night. Okay. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins, the wake-up call finally came for him. The Cardinals, who announced on Friday they were going to release him, officially did it on Tuesday. We talked about this yesterday. There's still a little window that maybe he would be traded. Maybe somebody would show up with an offer. The Cardinals would pay some of the contract, and they would get something back. If any of that happened yesterday, it obviously didn't work. He's released. He's a free agent. He can sign with any team at any time, no waivers for vested veterans, anybody who's been around four years or longer. Waivers don't apply until after the trade deadline in late October, early November. So he is free and clear. He can sign with anybody, Chris. And I think the other big development today dovetails with things we were discussing yesterday. He needed an NFL PA certified agent. Right. He got He hired one. NFL Network reported yesterday, Kelton Crenshaw, based in Cleveland, has been hired by DeAndre Hopkins, which means teams will reach out to him, talk to the agent to try to work out a possible deal. And the agent will preside over this effort to maybe play one against the other. This is a hell of an opportunity. You get the Chiefs and the Bills at the table and you've got the net gain of getting him and the extra net gain of keeping him from a team that you're going to be competing with for the AFC championship. So the Delta, as they call it, is even more significant because it's not just what bump does he give us? It's what negative bump do we enjoy by having him not go to the other team. Oh, so great. Yeah. Hard for him to do it. Cause let me tell you, I'm not going to name names, but one of the teams regarded to be significantly in the running for DeAndre Hopkins was not comfortable with the prospect of dealing with St. Omni, the non-certified agent, You've got multiple emails out there or memos from the league saying don't deal with these people who are certified by the union, and it was going to make it harder for DeAndre Hopkins to get the best possible deal because teams did not want to deal with St. Omni. They were going to have to deal directly with DeAndre Hopkins. And and that's the thing. So many of these guys who are self-represented really aren't. They just have somebody who isn't part of the NFLPA structure, so they don't have to pay them under the same rate schedule that NFLPA certified agents are paid. So they act like they're doing it themselves, and they aren't. Like Laramie Tunts, he acts like he's doing it himself. He's not, and he's basically admitted it. And the NFL has an obligation, and the union has an obligation to enforce the rules. And so that's why they're shying away from St. Omni. They only want to deal with DeAndre Hopkins. And once Hopkins realizes, I got to do this myself, no, thank you. I guess I'll go get an NFLPA certified agent. Right, right. Yeah, I hear it. Well, you, you do save money, right? Like uh, Pete is in my ear going, wait, so how do they save money for everybody else? And he's right. We, could, we should explain that, right? Because you could go, hey, help me out with this process. I'll give you a flat rate of 100000 or $50,000, and then it's done. Pay by the hour. Exactly. The or hour. that, exactly. So it's still less than the 3% of the ultimate contract that you're going to get there, and it's a win for the player. Now, it might not be a win for the player when there's a lot of moving parts and and something like this, like you're talking about with DeAndre Hopkins, right? And that's where you're right. I think it is the right thing for him to get the agent. He's he's at a point in his career where – Hey, it's, we know it's kind of on the downhill part here. It's crucial for him. He wants to find a place that not only makes sense for him to set him up for success statistically, but he wants to win. We know that. He's kind of made that clear. 
And that's where it is going to be interesting as we go down the stretch here. I mean, I think the it, it, it is going to be a top-team market, I feel like, with DeAndre Hopkins. Like we said yesterday, I don't see him going, oh, wait, I'll take an extra million or two dollars to go play with the Carolina Panthers or some team that we don't envision that really is in a Super Bowl window. Like you said, I think it's going to be top-tier teams. Chiefs, Bills, those are the teams we're talking about. Teams that are looking at it going, wait, we're a – we're a Super Bowl team. What gets us over the hump to be, oh, now we feel like we're like a Super Bowl winning football team. And I think that's what the Bills and Chiefs are, are uh, interested in. The big thing, Mike, with me and, and, and DeAndre Hopkins or Nook as they call him, right, is what are his expectations? What does he want? How many years of a contract does he want? What kind of guarantees is he looking at? That's, to me, where it's going to get tricky, or is this just going to be a one-year rental type of thing, and then he's going to try to set himself up, and that's where I don't have a great feel for what he's expecting quite yet. Well, and this takes me back to when we first heard the noise about a potential trade. I'm thinking he wants to take the back end of this $27 million per year new money deal where he has gotten the bulk of the cash. Right. We're getting to a back end, which doesn't entail as much, $19.45 million this year. He wants more. He doesn't want to just have his contract sent to another team and have someone else pay the money the Cardinals were going to pay. He wants more. He sees what Devontae Adams got. He sees what Tyreek Hill got. He was not long ago the highest paid receiver in football. He wants more. And then the question became, is anyone even going to give him what he's due to make? Now that he's a free agent, we see what someone is willing to do. It may not be even close to what he got or was supposed to get from the Cardinals. And there could be a delay here. This may be a a situation where it takes time. And I think I may have mentioned this yesterday. For the teams, they have negotiated contracts over and over and over again with every shape and size and personality type of player. They know when to wait. They know when to move. They know when to step back and let the player come to terms with the fact that he's not going to get what he thinks he should get. But where the dynamic changes here, and this is why it's important to have an agent who can orchestrate everything. And by the way, you can negotiate the 3% down, and there are some agents who will only take yeah, 1%. that's right. Still, still, if you're talking about a flat fee or a, or a per hour rate, you still can save money by doing it on your own. And you also create this impression to the world that you're this great business person who handles stuff on his own, even if he really isn't. Even if the truth is he's got somebody helping him while he takes credit publicly for being this renaissance man who can play football and also negotiate his own deal with no help from anyone whatsoever. And a lot of that is just a ruse. A lot of it's scam. A lot of it is fugazi. They mostly, the guys who claim they're representing themselves have someone else who isn't an NFLPA agent representing them. But in this case, you need someone who's got relationships, who knows people and who read this needle because there is a way to play this. Just like, I don't want to say just like Deshaun Watson because it was a different situation, but the similarity is this. You get teams to the table. Get them to the table. Create a sense of competition, a sense of scarcity. Everybody's fighting for the Cabbage Patch Kid. That was the big toy in the 80s, and everybody had to have it, and they would fight over it, right? Beanie Babies, when they were a big deal 35 years ago. Oh, I got to go get it. I got to have it. Got to have it. That's how Deshaun Watson got his contract. Jimmy Haslam decided I had to have him. I had to have him. I had to have him. Oh, they don't want us. We'll offer him more. Offer him a fully guaranteed contract. Do what it takes. Whatever it takes. I want him. I want him. I want him. That's the mindset that this agent is going to try to create. So you got the Chiefs and the Bills that we know are interested. Get more teams to the table. Chris, like, like the Browns, the Ravens. Try to find somebody from the NFC. We talked about the Lions yesterday. Maybe them. Get five or six teams that decide they need to have DeAndre Hopkins. And then you just kind of step back, puppet master a little bit, step back, and you wait for somebody to get sufficiently desperate and you get the kind of numbers that DeAndre Hopkins is looking for. May not work, but that's the way to do it. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. It is the way to work. And I think that's the way to work if he wants to maximize you know, what his earnings are. The, the, the question I throw out there is a guy like you and me who follows football and you know, follows all these teams and talks about it in depth is, you know, what is the market 
for DeAndre Hopkins? What what exactly – what are we talking about? Again, like we talked about, guaranteed money, yearly average, the amount of years on the contract, I think are all going to be a big deal here for a guy that's, what, year 10, playing receiver, and we've hit on it. I know PEDs, injuries, right, all of that. Added on top of this, too, where I'll say he's different than OBJ as well, where OBJ was just a one-year rental. But OBJ is viewed in the NFL as a separation guy. OBJ is viewed as a guy that, like, hey, he can run a go route and still 80 yards, touchdown. He can get a slant route and make one move and be gone. That's not DeAndre Hopkins. They're usually not valued the same as that guy like an OBJ. Now, OBJ has the injury. I know all of that. I get it. But that's where I think the Hopkins thing is interesting, too. Because you're going to hear, you're going to, you know, I mean, I watch film. You know that. People hear me talk about him on, the, on my podcast and stuff. But you talk to coaches around football, too. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is the type of receiver anymore that scares people. He's not that guy anymore. He's more of, hey, we got to put him in the right spot. And he knows how to run routes. And he's got great hands. And, you know, he'll make the play. But you're not necessarily going to get yak or 80-yard touchdowns and stuff like that. And that, to me, is, again, another interesting part of the market for DeAndre Hopkins and getting a feel for this situation. And then you've got the other side of it, too. All of the chatter from the unnamed sources, all the negativity about DeAndre Hopkins that wasn't out there before. Right. But now, we talked about this yesterday. It started with all oh, the Cardinals were upset because he didn't play the last two games of the 2022 season because he was healthy and he claimed he was injured. And we're salty about that. There's other stuff that's coming out. I saw an item from one of the Arizona-based publications calling DeAndre Hopkins selfish. Right. And- it didn't end well in Houston, so that doesn't right. play in his favor. Then why'd you trade for him? That's the thing. Yeah. Look, folks, especially at the receiver position, if you're trading for a guy who ultimately was unhappy where he was, there's a pretty good chance he's eventually going to be unhappy with you. So you know that going in. You shouldn't be surprised by it if it happens. You should chalk it up to experience. And it's not just receivers. Other players can do that as well. I just feel like the Cardinals need, from a PR standpoint, to have a narrative out there that people will understand. In the event that he goes somewhere else, has a great season, wins a Super Bowl, and people are saying, why did we just let this guy walk away for nothing? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think there's a little bit of that set up. I think there's... You know, probably some teams out there or, or, you know, like we said, he has a reputation, but maybe some teams who are also in the hunt that are, you know, maybe have released this information because their fan base expects them, wait, we need a receiver and we need a DeAndre Hopkins. So that's a reason to have some negative stuff out there to go, oh, well, you know, there was that stuff out there. We had to pump the brakes a little bit, you know, ultimately. You know, you and I both know all this crap is not going to affect if a team really has a need at the position and they evaluate their wide receiver room and go, okay, man, we just, we need somebody else. We know how head coaches are. It doesn't matter who it is. If they need somebody, then they always go, well, I can make this work with this guy. I can fix it. So I, I, you know, and again, he's a football player. He's a wide receiver. You know, sometimes I feel like the diva-ness and him wanting the ball and, and just the attitude of a receiver can work against them later in their career, and that's where Hopkins is. He just left Superstarville, and now he's in good wide receiverville, uh, and people don't want to deal with that kind of baggage. But uh, I think he's probably at a point of his career like he wants to win and he wants to be paid. It's just a balance of that and how are you going to make that meet together. And, I, you know, I, I, I ask you, Mike, like, what do you think? What do you think DeAndre Hopkins it, like legitimately can get on the open market right now? Where he is, we just saw the stats he had for the last two years. He's had the injuries, the PED, their underwhelming stats. He is in year ten. You know, what do you say? What say you the market for DeAndre Hopkins? You think? Well, I think it's going to be similar to what we thought it would be for Odo Beckham Jr. until the Ravens decided, for reasons unrelated to football, that they were going to overpay him. And right. I had an interview with Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM, right after the draft, and he basically admitted that there are other reasons why you pay that $15 million guaranteed on a one-year deal to Odo Beckham Jr. So unless you get that mindset into play for a team that thinks DeAndre Hopkins is going to sell tickets and generate excitement and, and, and help you beyond the football field, if you're only looking at the football field, then it becomes kind of like what we thought, where there would be – a certain amount 
of base salary with the opportunity to pile up more on top of it based upon production, based upon playing time, per game roster bonuses to guard against the possibility of injury keeping him from playing five, seven, ten games this year. It's not just, oh, boom, here's $20 million fully guaranteed, or boom, here's $15 million fully guaranteed. And the other thing, too, and I don't rule this out, what you can do is, and this helps satisfy a guy's ego who just wants to be able to say, I got X many dollars this year. If you do a multi-year contract and you've got a signing bonus that gets spread over those multiple years, yeah. you can say, I got my $20 million this year. Even if you're not making $20 million per year, I got my $20 million this year because they're paying me basically compensation in advance for year two, year three, year four, maybe even year five, if that's what it takes for him to get right now cash flow in 2023, what he's looking for. And then he can say, I'll worry about the other years later. If I have a big season, they'll have to give me more. I just want to get maximum now. And there's some merit to that because that's kind of how his most recent deal was structured. Big money up front, less money future years. Right. We'll worry about the future years when the future years come. Yeah, no, I, 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 you're right. And that makes sense to what you're saying as far as the structure of that deal. I could see something like that being done. I, I think the interesting thing is just the wide receiver market in general. Right. There's some guys that, hey, Odell Beckham Jr. conversation, like you talked about, $15 million one year, hasn't played football in a year. Right. That was a little bit shocking, I think, to all of us. But where where does he lie? You know, there's there's the guys like Christian Kirk and Deontay Johnson who are making just a little north of $18 million a year. Mike Williams is making $20 million a year. Right. You get down into. Odell at 15, and then it drops to Corey Davis of the Jets at like 12 and a half. So is he going to be in that range with the incentives and, you know, the signing bonus to where, okay, maybe he can make more? Or is somebody going to throw out the type of money like we're talking about where they're going to give him $18, $20 million a year and put him in Mike Williamsville? I don't think so. I certainly don't think he's as good a player as Mike Williams right is right now from the Chargers, but... Uh, we'll see, and I think it depends, again, like you said, the teams at the table, the market, and, and all of that goes a- along with it. Well, remember when there were reports that Odo Beckham Jr. wanted $20 million a year, that was something that we chimed in on as an amount he was still targeting earlier this year, and he pushed back on that. That never came out of my mouth or whatever his tweet was. You're right. When you look at the stack of the highest-paid receivers – 20 million isn't even top 15. It's right at the bottom of the top 15. Right. It's right there, Mike Williams. So where do you view yourself among the other receivers? That's really the question. And where does DeAndre Hopkins view himself and how does he fit in to this overall structure? When you get past DJ Moore at 10, the next page of this graphic would have a bunch of guys right around 20, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, right around 20. Right. And look, let's look at the production. Yeah, let's just talk about that list right there. How does he compare to that list? What was your first thought when you looked at that list right there and you saw DeAndre Hopkins on it, right? What's the problem? I don't know because now, I mean, obviously, yeah, this that's gone. We can we can strike out number three because the contract's so 27.25 is dead. But, okay, his first year in Arizona, 1,407 yards on 115 catches. But then it fell off. 10 games his second year in Arizona, 572 yards. Nine games last year, 717. That projects to 1,354 if you play the whole season, but he didn't. At the end of the day, he gave them 19 games over two full years and 1,200 yards over two full years. Not one year, two full years. That's not good enough to get you into the $20 million per year club. And again, what have you done for me lately? What do I expect you to do yeah. for me today? And what do I expect that you're going to do for me tomorrow? That's what matters. And yeah. that's where he's going to bump into a brick wall. It's why he wasn't traded, folks. Nobody wanted to take on $19.45 million this year. Right. So he's going to adjust his expectations downward. And if he's going to get into that stratosphere, he's going to have to produce. 
That's going to be, I think, the magic number here. Reasonable base, easily achieved incentives based on playing time and production. You turn the clock back to 2020 with 1,400 yards or even 2018 with 1,572 as career high, you're going to get paid accordingly. Right. But you got to produce before we pay. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's you know, like we've hit on here, the age, injuries, PEDs, you know, you, you know, not being able to practice all the time and managing his body and all that, that's going to scare teams. There's no doubt about that. And again, in, in totality, hey, DeAndre Hopkins is awesome. I mean, he's a legend of the sport. He's been one of the best receivers in our game, you know, over the last 10 years or so. There's no doubting that. But where he is right now, yeah, I, he's not. And again, if we could put that, that list of guys up again, he's not in that category of players right there. Those are like, you know, it's like when we talk about system quarterbacks, right? And I'm not saying this to be disrespectful by any stretch of the imagination. But to me, right, DeAndre Hopkins needs some sort of a system right now. The guys on that list right there, they just go, where do you want me to line up, coach? Just tell me who to beat. I'll do it. Oh, you want me to catch a slant and then run for a touchdown? No problem. You want me to get a reverse and run for a touchdown? No problem. Speed sweep, screen pass, go go deep for 80. And that, to me, is where the world changed for DeAndre Hopkins over the last you know three years or so. He's never was the blazing type of receiver, but how he's had enough to scare you and keep you honest there. Now, yeah, he's more of a possession, big slot type of receiver and not nearly, nearly as explosive as the guys we have on this list. I mean, you look at the guys on that list and you go five through ten there and you just go, well, they, they can score from anywhere on the field anytime they touch it. And that to me is why, yeah, I, I would think it's going to be somewhere along with what you're saying. You know, maybe just south of OBJ's contract. Maybe if it's multiple years, he gets a good guarantee that makes it look good and gets a big check this year, like you said, but have a hard time thinking that somebody's going to throw out there a legitimate $20 million a year average type of contract. Pete Donalitis raises a good question. What'd you Odell say? Beckham Jr. or DeAndre Hopkins? Which one? I know. Like, the physical ability definitely goes to OBJ. You know, again, that's what I, you know, I, you heard me say that a minute ago, right? I mean, OBJ special. OBJ is one of those guys, you talk to coaches around football, and when he's healthy and hitting on all cylinders, coaches will tell you he might be the greatest receiver I've ever seen. His route running, his after the catch, his strength, his ability to 50-50 balls, adjust the balls, he's special there. But the injury is the real thing there. So the potential of OBJ is greater to me than DeAndre Hopkins right now. It is greater, but and, and the overall talent and explosiveness is. But it is two ACLs in three years, like you've explained many times. So that's where you got to balance it. And uh, I don't know. I guess I'd go with OBJ. I would go with OBJ, but it'd be a close one. The injury stuff does scare me a little. I'd go with OBJ just because the high end, I think, is more significant. Exactly. That's what it is. Right. Your offense is more significant and right. the impact he has on your team. And That's another thing, too. That's It gets under, under the radar. You and I know this. The rest of the public, when you tell people, and I'm at the gym or whatever else, and I tell them, OBJ, every guy and coach in the history that's been around him loves him. He's an amazing leader. They're always like, what? Huh? And I was like, yeah. He had his little thing, you know, when he talked to Josina Anderson and said that stuff about Eli. And then, you know, the New York fan base got mad at him for that. But you can't, you can't find ex-players in the Giants locker room or the Browns locker room or the Rams locker room that don't love Odell Beckham Jr. He's got a leadership factor that I think you were trying to allude to, too, which was part of the, pro part of the reason they probably paid him a little more money because they were going, he's the type of guy that could, you know, reel in Lamar here a little bit and get, you know, some good mojo going for us. And I think that was probably part of their plan as well. Oh, I think that that was one of the major factors right. in getting the Paul Jackson deal done. The presence of Odell Beckham Jr., who quite possibly made a phone call to Lamar after Jalen Hurts did his deal saying, hey, Lamar, you just got to take something like Jalen Hurts did or you're never going to get a deal. As we were saying all along, you right. got to say yes at some right. point. I think DJ helped reinforce that. And, and I know we're in the slow time of the calendar, but I'll see on social media some of the questions that get posed and 
I actually saw someone pose the question of whether or not DeAndre Hopkins is a Hall of Famer. Folks, let's not go down that path. He's 36th all-time on the receiving yardage list. 36th. He's not going to have major, massive years to get him higher and higher at this point. And in this day and age, with so much passing, he was never the best receiver in football. Clearly, without question, the number one guy. The guy that keeps you up at night game planning against. He's been great but not spectacular, next level, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss. That's where the bar should be, maybe a little bit lower than yeah. those two. Yeah. But, but never never that guy that when you watch his teams play, you're fearful he's going to beat you single-handedly, right. which is, I think, what should be the general litmus test at the receiver position. You've got to be transcendent to get in. Of course, you and I are – in the Deion Sanders upper room. I mean, I think the upper room should bleed down a little bit to the lower room too. I think too many get in who shouldn't anyway, because yeah. they have a quote because they're going to have a parade and they got to have maximum occupancy of the hotel. So we got to have eight busts every year, even if there aren't eight busts worthy of going in, that's a different issue, but not really. DeAndre Hopkins, I don't think makes it even under that relaxed standard, unless we see one hell of a third act wherever he lands, Kansas city, Buffalo, or maybe Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think uh, you you said it right. I would agree with you there. You know, he's not a Hall of Famer. He's an NFL legend, like I said. That's what he is. And and yeah, with the stats of the and and the rate of receivers and quarterbacks throwing the ball right now, yeah, it's just not that impressive numbers. I mean, he's really damn good. But yeah, you you got to be you know it, it's transcendent numbers and special things like that. And you got to have number of years where you go. You know, I think you got to go, hey, there's no doubt he was the best receiver in football. Like, hey, uh, that, that guy, or he was, like you said, a game changer. we got to double cover him at all costs. He can score a touchdown from any part of the field, right? Like the guy over your left shoulder. I mean, that's Larry Fitzgerald, right? He, he fit that mold. That's why he'll be in the Hall of Fame. He not only did that, but then at the end of the career, changed the way he played and became an awesome slot receiver to go along with it. So he almost had two careers that were awesome, and I think that's the kind of guy we're talking about as far as Hall of Fame wide receivers go spread the word when you get a fresh hot mccrispy from mcdonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag don't try to wait till you get home always respect hot chicken the mccrispy only at mcdonald's Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We mentioned the Browns a couple of times as a team that potentially could land DeAndre Hopkins. Yesterday we said if they would get him, all of a sudden maybe people would view the Browns differently. They're a curiosity right now. Curiosity exists for the Browns. Here's both coach Kevin Stefanski and quarterback Deshaun Watson, who played with Hopkins in Houston, talking about the possibility of the Browns making a run for the free agent wideout. I really, really like our, our, our wide receiver room. Uh, I, I love the guys that are in there. Um, Andrew and his crew are always looking at every avenue and the, that type of thing. So I won't comment specifically on the player other than to say uh, I really like our roster. Well, me and D-Hop, we just naturally talk. We've been talking since, you know, the Houston days. And then also whenever he left for Arizona, we were always talking. So, you know, he's always been a brother of mine since I was coming out of high school. Our connection, our relationship has always been great. Uh, and I know there's a lot of things swirling around in the media of, you know, him possibly coming to Cleveland. And, you know, for me, my answer to that is, of course, we would love to have him. Uh, he knows that. Um, we had a lot of connections, but, you know, that's kind of out of my <laughs> range of things of kind of coordinating things. So all I can do is 
you know, make a call and, and see what happens. Let AB do the rest. You get the different perspectives there. The coach is the guy who has to keep everyone happy, and there's only so many dollars to go around, and the front office has to decide. And then you got the quarterback saying, yeah, we'd love to have him. And this will be a nice little litmus test of how much juice Deshaun Watson has in the organization as he enters year number two. But if they're committed to supporting this guy as much as they can, now they've picked up Elijah Moore via trade. They've got Amari Cooper, who they acquired via trade last year. I don't know. And and we've had the impression that they're going to have kind of a a wide open offense or at least more wide open than it's been to the point where there's been Saturday. Nick Chubb may not have a long-term future in Cleveland because they're not going to use him like they have. It's going to be more about Deshaun. But when you make that investment in Deshaun, it does necessarily give him some juice. It gives him some power. It makes him the guy. And how do you get the most out of him? You got a receiver that he played with in Houston that's available and you're trying to get to the top of the conference. And so you could keep him from going to Kansas city or Buffalo. I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns try to figure something out and get him to go to Cleveland. He's going to have to want to do it, but maybe they'd be in a position that they're willing to pay him more than the chiefs or the bills would. Yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, it, it's, I, I, you know, I, what Kevin Stefanski said, I, I, he was trying, I think, to tell you, like they don't really. That, that sounded like a whole lot of we don't really want to. We like our wide receiver room, right? I, I think that's what that was there, you know. And you said, I mean, hey, they got Amari Cooper, still really damn good. Elijah Moore, we'll see what he can do there. Donovan People Jones is he's not a bad number two, number three ish type of receiver. They got guy, you know, on a speedster. And Anthony Schwartz that I think they think fills a role there, right? Marquise Goodwin is on the on the uh, on the roster. Another speed guy. They drafted Cedric Tillman from Tennessee. They have David Njoku at tight end. They have one of the best running backs in football. They have one of the best offensive lines in football. They don't need him. And where I would say too is go, you know, if you're going to willing to spend eighteen twenty million dollars on him. If I was the Browns, I'd go, well, damn, then there's, we talked about some free agent defensive players last, yesterday that I'd be more interested in than filling, uh, you know, making a strength of my team just a little stronger. And what I'll throw out to you too, Mike, is I don't know if it's necessarily the best situation for this right now. You know, they're just coming out of the woods here. It's a big year. Stavansky is going to be on the hot seat to a degree. They need to make it for work for Deshaun Watson. Do they want the distraction of, oh, now DeAndre Hopkins is here and he wants his catches and money and, and he wants to, you know, command the ball a little bit. Those are things that I'd go, I don't know if Cleveland wants to open Pandora's box on that type of stuff with where they're at in their franchise right now. Nothing worse than opening up a box full of Pandora. You know, if she's in there, watch out. <laughs> uh, the other Possible interpretation, too, is Deshaun Watson was just being nice and diplomatic. Sure. With right. Team, and he didn't want to come out and say, we're good. We don't need DeAndre Hopkins. But there was enough there from Watson. If he really does want him, that's where it becomes interesting. And we can't tell whether he really, truly does want him. If he really, truly does want him, what goes on behind the scenes to get him what he wants, if, if that's what he's thinking. Now, look. The, the bigger issue with the Browns, as I mentioned earlier, we don't know what they are. We don't know who they're going to be because we don't know what Deshaun Watson's going to be. He didn't play at all in 2021. Right. In 2022, he only played in six games. It was a mixed bag. It was a work in progress. What do we see in 23? And what's happened is when we start talking about franchise quarterback, his name has slipped off the list. He addressed recently – this reality that he's no longer considered a top quarterback and what he intends to do about it. Have a listen. I'm very motivated. I'm very excited to be able to have the opportunities to go out there and prove what I, what I have before and, and even better. And that's the goal is to be better than what, you know, people last saw me. And, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, people are entitled to their own opinions, but at the same time, you gotta, you gotta respect their opinions. You know, I missed two years of football. So if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't put myself in that position either. I gotta go out there and prove it. And that's what I'm looking forward to. So those opportunities for me this upcoming season, I have to take advantage of it. It is going to be fascinating to see what he does after he says two years out of football. Last year, he wasn't. He did play six games. He was there for preseason and training camp. 
But still, this is the first time since 2020, three years, that we see him start to finish as a member of the Cleveland Browns. And this is their opportunity to get something of a return on that investment. Remember last year, there was a theory, and I think there's accuracy to it, that there were owners who did not want him to be suspended for the full year because they wanted the oh, Browns definitely. to have up year one right. of the five-year contract. And they're into year two now. Before you know it, that contract's going to be almost over. What will they have to show for the investment and the headache that went along with that investment for the cold shoulders, the dirty looks, the awkward glances that the Haslam surely have received for blowing out the procedures and giving Deshaun Watson that five-year fully guaranteed deal. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in Deshaun Watson. I am. I'm a believer in his potential. You know, we know where he was before, you know, all this stuff went down. He was definitely one of the top five, six quarterbacks in the game. One of those guys that could run the system to perfection, wouldn't miss a throw. And then when it came backyard, hey, I can carry you guys and make stuff happen here. No problem. I got you. But yeah, like he's saying, he said it right. That was a great answer by him. You know, it's it's basically been out. He was out for a long time. You know, it's not that easy just to get back on the NFL starting quarterback bike and just be an awesome, oh, I can pop wheelies and do tricks and be the man again. It's hard. I, I expect him to jump back in the conversation of one of the better quarterbacks in football this year. And to your point, I think that's why we, we hear rumors of them wanting to open up the offense and do all of that. So I, I'm excited. The Browns are a team that, yeah, if I had to probably pick playoff teams right now, I wouldn't pick Cleveland. But I think they're a team you put a star next to to go, there's a lot of playoff caliber aspects about their football team. And then if number four gets going at quarterback, watch out. I've seen him carry worse teams and worse rosters of the playoffs than than uh, than this Cleveland team. So that's where it's interesting. And the other thing too, Mike, I just did all this change him. You know, that that's the one thing I do wonder. Just all the stuff that's gone on. Does it change him, his psyche, all of that? That's probably the only thing I really worry about him going forward. You used a phrase a little while ago that made my heart smile. I haven't heard it in years, haven't thought about it in years. Pop wheelies. That was the aspiration right. on a consistent basis. Back when I was a kid and you were actually allowed to leave the house without supervision <laughs> for more than five minutes at a time, for more than five hours at a time, you were out there on your bike and what you wanted to do, once you got going, you got a couple good pedals in, you'd pop that wheelie. You wanted to, oh, and, and you wanted to hold the wheelie. Had it to hold it a little. It could pop it and hold it. And that was the guy that inspired many because I could pop it. I just couldn't hold it because I was always afraid once you pop it, you've got that tipping point where next thing you know, yeah. you the skull open on the asphalt. I don't, I, 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 uh, I had like pegs on the back wheels at some point, right? So like that's where I could hold it. I couldn't hold it if I was like, on my seat, normal pedaling, but you know, like the pegs that came out of the back, then you could get on that and I could hold it there a little bit, but I wasn't that cool. Uh, I wasn't, but we'll see if Deshaun Watson can pop some wheelies this year. He's going to need to, if the Browns want to win the AFC North. That brings back bad memories for Browns players back when Kellen Winslow was, oh, geez. He was popping the back wheelies. They call it, I think an endo and that endoed his, uh, his career, or at least it, along it made, with a bunch of other things. Lot. That's we didn't have to go that route. But as a player, he shredded his knee early on. He was on track to have a career every bit as good as his dad's. But yeah. he, I respected the fact that he was able to keep playing with a knee that was just completely and totally wrecked from that that endo. I think endo is the term gone bad. All right, let's go ahead and uh, take a break, lest we go any farther off the rails than we need to. By the way, before we do though, people have asked what's behind me right here. That's the Seinfeld Lego set. Right. Seinfeld Lego set? And you bought that for yourself? You bought yourself I bought a Seinfeld? It, I put it together. Okay. I bought it up. Legos are an acceptable adult endeavor. Oh my gosh. Okay, I don't know yeah, about that. We might have to put that we'd have to put that to a Twitter poll. Is there an age where you should be embarrassed of building Lego sets anymore? I think I that should be age. out there. Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> I am in an age where I'm embarrassed by nothing. There's <laughs> freedom 
approaching 60. I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, well, apparently. More PFT Live right after this. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Some people like to deep clean every Saturday morning. I prefer to spend a few minutes every day keeping things fresh with Lysol. Lysol's all-purpose cleaner cleans and kills 99.9% of viruses and bacteria. It can be used on hard, non-porous surfaces like the kitchen, bathroom, and other areas in your home. (sighs) Don't just clean. Lysol clean.